Thank you, Leah, for those words. That's very kind. Van, thank you all. That was awesome. Um, I'm going to just give you some forewarning. I'm going to pull a Glenn Watley today. Um, and what I mean by that is we're going to have a whole lot of introduction and just a little bit of message, and it's going to be okay. Everybody okay with that? Say amen. amen. Okay, half of you, half of the four of us that are here. Now, <laughs> and I would just like to say that when we started talking about planting choline, I said, and it is true, that if there's just a few of us here on Sunday mornings, that's okay with me. Um, but I do want to, just as an encouragement to the body, we have a lot of people that are out today because they either have covid uh, or have been exposed to it. And so those of you that are listening on the podcast today, I just want to say thank you um, for your commitment to keeping the body safe and loving well by, by staying home. Um, and I'm also thankful for technology that allows us to, um, to share those things. Maggie, I'm going to mess up your music here for just a second because I've got I to call some attention to something. Um, kiddos, who, whoever has one of their books, what's the memory verse for today? I've got to connect some dots this morning so that we can all see what the Lord's up to. Should be real big on one of them pages inside a rocket ship, maybe. Go ahead, Josh. We'll say it loud. Wait. Okay, he don't know. Thank, thank you, Sally. Huh? That's the song. Uh, yeah, the song. That's what Luke's talking about. He's saying that the song is Thy Word. And what was the Bethany? Can you remember the tagline from the end of that video, the preschool video we just watched? Has anybody got that? This is important. Y'all hang with me. People can help our faith grow. I told, I leaned over to Bethany whenever that played, because I didn't watch the video in advance. And I leaned over. I was like, that's the theme of our message today. That's a major theme of our message today. And then, okay, and then Leah, bring up that Colossians passage that Leah shared. I just, I got to connect these dots. You got to see it, okay? It says, let the message of Christ dwell among you richly as you teach and admonish one another, with all wisdom through psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit, singing to God with gratitude in your hearts. Okay, so again, that idea of admonishing one another, of encouraging one another. Today, that's what we're going to talk about. And then, um, I think it was, it was the Man of Sorrow song, that chorus, man, just really struck a chord with me. Oh, that rugged cross, my salvation, where your love poured out over me. Now my soul cries out, hallelujah, praise and honor unto thee. For me, when I think about our church, when I think about our body, the things that we're going to talk about today about what it means to be an elder, what that means for those of us that are elders and for those of us that, that, that live under an elder, it's about that. It's about this message of salvation, this message of grace that, that David wrote about, that Leah sang today. That is the purpose in all of this. When we talk about what it means to be an elder and why that's significant for our body and why we're going through all these steps and processes of looking at Scripture and trying to understand it, it's because that message is what is so important. It's not about having just somebody that looks the part in leadership. It's not about having somebody who speaks well in leadership. It's about having people in leadership whose whole purpose is to know the Lord. That's what we're going to talk about today. Um, I don't know for you guys how your week has been, but mine has been nuts, to say the least. Um, it just, it was a hard week. It was a busy week. It was a good week, um, but I'm very glad that it is over and we're beginning a new week today, and maybe with some snow, fingers crossed, okay? Maybe with some snow, okay? As you guys know about me, I've shared this with you before, I have a tendency to try to cram way too much stuff in the amount of time that I've given, okay? And I feel like I did that with this elder series. As I was thinking and praying about the message for today, in my mind, I 
foolishly thought that I could put all of the qualifications and how we go about appointing elders all into one Sunday. And as I began to write and think and pray and ask the Lord what he would have me say today, it became quick, quickly obvious that uh, that was not going to be the case. Okay, I do want to, however, take some time this morning, a significant amount of time, to review where we've been so far. And I want to do that because I want us to all be on the same page and in the same heart with why we're doing this, about why it's important. Um, It's more important for me that we understand this, that it is not just in our minds, but it is in our heart, it is in our spirits, that we live it out. It's more important for me that that happens than it is that we move quickly through some text, right? Can we all agree on that, that that's a good thing? Um, so we're going to spend a couple more Sundays on this study, which means we're going to pu- push back our vision Sunday a couple more weeks because I, I really feel that the Lord is impressing upon me that we understand the why, the what, and the how of eldership. Um, the last two weeks we've talked about the why, okay? Um, and that is, and I want to review that this morning um, just so our hearts and our minds are there. As we begin to look at this scripture again, I want us to understand the why as we begin to talk about the what, the qualifications, right? So when we're looking at these qualifications, our hearts are in that place of understanding why God has called elders to be in leadership in the church and in our church, okay? Because when we look at those expectations, our hearts are going to have a tendency because all of us, for the most part, have come out of a place of legalism at some point in our lives. And as we start to look at a list, if you're anything like me, your heart naturally moves back into that place that I spent so much time in. And so as we look at these qualifications, it's really important that we're looking at it from the correct perspective. And so for that point, I want us to to look back. I want all these things that Paul's talking about to be firmly rooted in love and in the outworking of the Holy Spirit, not in what we can accomplish in our own power. And I'm going to talk about that. I'm going to say that over and over and over again today because I want us to understand that as we look at these qualifications, that it's not me looking at myself saying, yes, I am able to do these things. And then when we look at people that are elders, whether it's me or men or, or people that God is calling into eldership, we don't want to look at those people and say, yes, I think that they in their own power can accomplish these things. Because if that's the reason that we want to appoint them for elders, we've missed the point, right? That it's about what the Holy Spirit is doing in us, not what we bring to the table, okay? So let's look at, look at uh, where we left off or where we talked about the last two Sundays. Last two Sundays ago, we looked at the historical context of elders. Okay, at the beginning of Scripture, we see that eldership is based in the family unit, right? And, and we talked about how significant it was that, that the relationship that existed between the elder and all of their families. We talked about how the elder knew all of the people in the family and all the people in the family knew the elder and they loved one another. And it's that love is the basis of the way the elder took care of the family. Right? We talked about that, and I was able to go to two life groups this week, and we talked about the significance of that relationship. Um, and we talked about how during the Babylonian exile, due to death and then also the strategic separation of those families by the Babylonians, that that, that familial eldership chain was broken. Right, And so that leadership, that the Israelites felt like that was still necessary. So since their families were busted up, what they did was they went to people who already had power or authority or presented themselves in that way. And they chose them to be elders. And we saw very quickly that, that things went south because that relationship that was so important, that love relationship between the elder and the families was broken. It was lost. And that led to abuse of power and, and favoritism and things like that. 
And so we see Jesus often address the Pharisees when rebuking, uh, or address the elders when rebuking the Pharisees as well because they had taken this power that they had been given and they were using it for their own gain, okay? And then after Jesus' death, as the new church was being established by the Holy Spirit, God chooses to kind of reinvent this role of elder because it was a, a leadership style that was established. Everybody understood how it was supposed to work. And so God says, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put elders back in charge. But here is how we're going to do that. Here are the things that we want to see in the life of a, of a man that is going to be in charge of a church. And so that's where we're, where we're coming to today. We're going to pick up uh, kind of where we left off last week. Last week we stopped with 1 Timothy um, chapter 3, verse 1. We'll read that again this morning because we needed to understand what it means to aspire and to desire to be an elder. So let's read that together. It says, the saying is trustworthy. If anyone aspires to be an overseer, he desires a noble work. We need to understand that Paul is telling Timothy because uh, the motivation behind Paul is, excuse me, I'm say this in a different way. Paul is trying to communicate to Timothy that the motivation behind why a person wants to be an elder is significant. It's significant to the body. Um, lost my place. Give me a second. We saw that when we looked at the historical context. When we talked about those relationships, we saw that the motivation behind those relationships was important. Um, in the early church, there was a need for leadership that was pursuing God. And this this relationship, the importance that Paul's putting there, ensured that those men's interests were founded in love for the Father. And because of that, it was founded in love for their family, which is the church. When we read this first verse of, of uh, 1 Timothy chapter 3, we see that Paul's telling Timothy to find men who are progressively moving forward in their relationship with God. That's what it means to aspire. He wasn't saying to find men that had already accomplished those things. He's saying, look for men who aspire, who are moving towards those goals that are listed in verses 1 through 7. And the only way that one is able to, to meet those qualifications is through the work of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit indwelling inside of them and working in them. God desires men to be in leadership that have a heart for Him. That's God's purpose. That is God's goals. We look briefly at 1 Peter chapter 5, verses 1 through 5, and we saw that Peter tells us that the elders should exhibit three specific characteristics. First, they should serve willingly, not because they are required to, not because they feel like they ought to, but because they want to, and that they are to lead the church as Christ did, out of love. And second, they should lead as God would have them. Again, like Christ would say, I do nothing on my own. But I do only what the Father tells me to do. That that is the motivation that an elder should lead out of. Not out of their own wisdom, not out of their own desires, but only doing what the Father instructs them to do. And then thirdly, that they should be an example to the flock. That when the church looks at these men and the relationship that they have with God, it should inspire them to pursue God in a deeper way. Being an elder is a big deal to God, and it's a big deal to us. When I read these qualifications, when I look at that passage in 1 Peter, I'm humbled because I know I don't fulfill those qualifications on my own. I know, she's super cute. Everybody look at her real quick. I'm talking about Charlie. I mean, Bethany is too. I love those two. And these guys over here, they're okay too. For in podcast land, I'm pointing at the rest of my knuckleheads over on the side. <laughs> Because it's a big deal, I want us to take our time. I want to make sure that we all understand 
these qualifications. This is why in our bylaws also that it requires that an elder must be a member for three years before they're eligible. Or member, someone must be a member of the church three years before they're eligible to become an elder because we want to make sure that that, that that man knows the church well. And we want to make sure that the church has had an ample opportunity to know that person. It establishes that important relationship element that we've been talking about that elders need to have with the members of the church. I've been asking you guys to pray about who God's calling to fulfill this role uh, in addition to Ben and myself for our, for our body here. I was able to go to two life groups this week, and, I, and I, I want to share with you some of the things that I shared with them. But there are two men specifically that God has spoken to, to the elders, to Glenn and I and, and the others, that we needed to ask to pray about eldership. Um, if you're in those two life groups, you know who those men are because we've talked about it, but also because you've lived with them and you know them, okay? So last week I was at a life group with Jacob Crump, uh, the one that he leads. He wasn't there. He, he and Maddie, or Maddie was sick, so they stayed home. Um, and, and Jacob has already shared with his life group that God has put a call on his life to be an elder, specifically at TGP West. God began to, this uh, a little over a year ago. Uh, and Jacob shared this with, with me and with the other elders, and so we've been having a lot of conversation about that. And also shared with the groups that God uh, asked Glenn and I to ask Carrie Westbrook to pray about being an elder as well. And if you know those two guys, you're probably not at all surprised that, that God has put that call on their life. And, uh, and Carrie has been praying and has confirmed that God is, is telling him now is the time to become an elder. Okay? Um, I wanted to share that with you guys because, one, I want you to, to know these men uh, are, are being called by God. And I want us to be praying with them. But I also don't want you to put their, mind, their, their names in your mind as we're going through this list today and think, well, you know, Carrie doesn't meet that one. Let's mark that off, okay? Because we don't meet any of them, right? And I feel like I've been really clear about that, but I want to say it again. But I want to tell you a story, okay? Because I want you to see how God is working. Now, my life group, Carrie Westbrook, is in that one. Um, and I don't know that we had necessarily talked about it a whole lot, but we shared with them last week, and Carrie shared a little bit of what God has been speaking but I was sharing that with Jacob Crump's life group last night, and in sharing that, or Thursday night, in sharing that, Debbie Upshaw told me that she had been praying, as, we, as I've been asking her to, and that God had put Carrie Westbrook on her mind, right? Now, I had not told her that. I had not announced it to the church, and that's significant for me for a couple of reasons. Number one, Debbie was doing what I asked her to do, which thank you, Debbie, for doing that, and she's praying, and the Lord spoke. But the Lord didn't speak because, uh, and this was funny to me, because she said to me, I, I don't really know Carrie at all, okay? Now, I know I just said that there's a three-year time period so that we can know the elders well, okay? Debbie hasn't been here three years, and that's okay, right? Carrie's been here a long time. How long have you been with this church, Carrie? You was like back harvest, weren't you? Yeah, so longer than me, okay? So the church has had an opportunity to know, to know Carrie well. But here's what was interesting to me, is that Debbie didn't, it wasn't Debbie saying Carrie, because Debbie doesn't know him. His merit in Debbie's mind is not the things that she knows about Carrie. In her mind, the merit was that God spoke it, right? Yeah. And that's significant. Because that's the way it's supposed to work. I, I was blown away by that and when, she, when she was sharing with that. Because that's how this is supposed to work. That God appoints these men. It's not us. It's not me. It's not Glenn going, who are the people that think like me and desire the same things as me? Let's put those people in leadership so I can be successful. We're saying, God, who are you calling to be in these leadership roles? 
Now, God may call others, but at this time, these are the two that I know of. And so as we continue to move through that process, there will be opportunities for others to, um, to pray about that, and we'll see what the Lord does with that. But, but I, as we begin looking at these qualifications, I want us to, to have these men in mind so that we can be praying for them. Pray for Ben and I as well, okay? All of us as members of TGP um, have, have committed ourselves to something significant, and I want us to, to remember this today as we begin to look at these qualifications because Timothy, uh, Paul is writing Timothy specifically to select men from the body that would be elders, right? But I want us to understand that as we look at these distinctive, we look at these, not distinctive, at these qualifications, that this is a qualification for all believers. That these aren't just for elders. And I, I want you to see that because I don't want you to look at that list and go, well, God's not calling me to be an elder, so that one right there, I can do whatever I want on that, Right? But Paul is describing the type of person who has a heart for God, that is pursuing the Lord with everything that he or she has. And God wants that for all of us, not just for elders. And I want us to see that. And when you went through new member training, you made a commitment to know God progressively, right? And as we talked about last week, to aspire means to be moving towards a goal with the help of the Holy Spirit. That's how we're defining that word in, in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And so for all of us as members of a gathering place, all of us should aspire to be like God, right? So as we move through these qualifications, all of us need to be asking God to show us in the areas that we are weak in, that we need work in, that the Holy Spirit needs to do a work in us. Not me going, you know, I'm not good at this one, so I'll try really hard this week on this one. But to say, God, where are some areas in my life maybe that I don't even see then I need you to do a work in me, to make me more like you. That's how we should approach these, okay? So as we're looking, as we're praying about these things, ask God, okay? So we're in this together. Everybody here? Y'all good? All right, let's dig in a little bit, okay? Now we're going to get to the message. That was very Glenn Watley, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. I've been listening to all of his messages from the First Timothy study that we did three years ago, and I'm like, oh my God, can we get to the text? You know, and I know that's how you feel today. So here we go. All right. All um, right. And again, I want to just say this again. We cannot work on ourselves trying really hard to be more like Christ, right? Everybody's clear on that. Okay, let's read 1 Timothy chapter 3, verses 2 through 7 today. We're not going to get to all of this, but I want us to see the whole context at the same time. And then we'll break down verse 2 today. <laughs> all right, verse 2. An overseer, therefore, must be above reproach. The husband of one wife, self-controlled, sensible, respectable, hospitable, able to teach not an excessive drinker not a bully but gentle not quarrelsome not greedy he must manage his own household um, competently and have his children under control with all dignity if anyone does not know how to manage his own household how will he take care of God's church he must not be a new convert or he might become conceited and incur the same condemnation as the devil Therefore, he must have a good reputation among outsiders so that he does not fall into disgrace and the devil's trap. So, Paul begins this section of his description of what an elder should aspire to be, okay? And remember that aspire means we're, we're moving, we're striving towards these goals, relying on the Holy Spirit to accomplish the work, okay? But Paul uses a very general term to set the tone for the rest of these qualifications. So, point number one is that elders should be above reproach. We see this... To be above reproach for me when I read that, it feels like a blanket statement. It's like the covering over the whole thing, 
And we see the same sentiment in Titus chapter 1, verse 7. It says, as an overseer of God's household, he must be blameless. That's the same word that is used in 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 2, um, where it says, uh, let me make sure I'm saying the right, above reproach, blameless and above reproach. Not arrogant, not hot-tempered, not an excessive drinker, not a bully, and not greedy for money. When somebody looks at the life of a believer, there should not be some glaring area that would make it weird for them to say that they are a believer, right? And I know that all of us can probably think of something or someone that we could say, yeah, I see that in their life. And I don't want us to point fingers or call names or anything like that. But I want us to be aware that all of us have had experiences like that where someone tells you that they are a believer. And then you go, really? Oh, uh -oh, okay, okay. Also, I'm not thinking about anybody in this room just for the record. Just so you know, okay? The overall evaluation of someone's life should not give an opportunity for someone to say that they're not qualified, right? As we are looking and thinking about us being a people of God, or if we're thinking about um, the, the, the quality of, uh, of an elder, the overall evaluation of someone's life should give no opportunity for someone to say that they are unfit for church leadership. This qualification points us to look at the character of a man. When we look at the, the total of an elder's life, we look at their life as a whole, we should see that progressive movement toward God, that that is a theme of their life. The next thing that Paul tells us is one that, that has been interpreted in a lot of different ways, but I want to look at the heart of what Paul's saying. Paul's words, the next thing he says is that it should, uh, an elder should be the husband of one wife, and that can literally be translated as a one-woman man. Okay, and to me that just sounds like a country song, right? Paul is dealing with a culture of polygamy and other, uh, we'll call them immoral issues for the sake of those that are in our, our body today. And, and if someone that is in leadership in the church was active in those things, it would have been an issue for them to be in leadership because they're not representative of who God is, right? Therefore, Paul's telling us that an elder should be committed to his wife, as an under-shepherd of the church, we should love as Christ loves. We see this sentiment that Paul is talking about when we look at Ephesians chapter 5, verse 25. He says, Husband, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. We see over and over and over again in Scripture God using um, the, the, the covenant marriage to help people to understand the covenant that God wants to have, or that God holds with his people. And Paul wants the church to know that in order to lead, an elder should love his wife as Christ loved his bride, which is the church. So as an elder, we should love our wives well. The covenant relationship an elder has with his wife will show other believers and, other, and unbelievers the love that Christ has for the church and for his people. We all know, especially in our culture, that there are many that separate from their spouses. And look, sometimes that's because it's a life or death situation or something that is on an equal plane with that. But many, many times people just give up. They just stop. When a husband and a wife enter into a covenant marriage, not a contractual marriage, a covenant marriage, with one another, and they love each other well, and they work through their struggles, it shows the world that it is possible to experience, to have true love. And I use that word very purposely, 
Because we throw the word love around, and I know you've heard a million sermons about, I love pizza, but I love my wife. We're not going there today. But there's something significant about what Paul is saying. Listen, it's easy to give up, but it's difficult to stick to it and to work through your problems. If you've been married for any amount of time, you know what I'm talking about. Can I get an amen from all the fellows? Because it's been your fault. Right? No, none of the men said amen. Y'all are a lot smarter than you look. Look, one of the best examples I can give to anyone about the love of God, or the best example any of us can give, is to be honest about our marriages, right? To share some of the struggles. And to, to not put on a facade like, I just got it all together, right? We know people like that. But we also know people who are honest about their relationships and say, yeah, sometimes marriage is hard, because sometimes marriage is hard. One of the best gifts I've ever been given it was Bethany telling me, I don't remember if it was right after we got married or right before we got married, but she told me, she looked me dead in the eye and she said, I've already forgiven you for everything you'll ever do, right? Which really shows she knew me well. She's like, I'm just going to get this out of the way. It's going to be all day, every day. We're going to have to have this conversation. Marriage is incredible and it has some hard times, but also it has some incredible times. And when we're honest about our marriages, it reveals to the world around us that they can be honest with God about how they're feeling. It reveals to the world that walking in a relationship with God sometimes is difficult because we're selfish, right? We, Bethany and I do premarital counseling all the time and we tell people, look, your whole life has 24-7 been about you and you're going to stand in front of all your family and friends, and you're going to make some vows to one another and to God, and from that moment, everything is different. And now, for the rest of your life, 24-7, you got to think about somebody else, and that is a hard transition to make. Right? And the, true, the same is true about the church, about becoming a new believer. Everything about their lives is going to change, and it'd be easy to just give up and go back to what's easy and just live for yourself. But Paul is saying, if you're going to be an elder, you are to love the church as Christ loved the church. That we don't just give up when things get difficult, but we stick in there and we work through our problems because we're motivated by love, as Christ was motivated by love, giving ourselves up for her. What I've discovered to be true about, about marriage and my relationship with God is that it gets more incredible every year. Bethany and I have this conversation regularly that I look back in previous years of my, my marriage and I thought then, man, this can't get any better. And every year I look back and I go, man, I can't believe it got better. But it does. And I know that, that probably the upshaws who've been married longer than I have can probably say, well, you don't even know nothing yet. You just don't even know. That's a message that we have for the world it only gets better in both cases because the Holy Spirit is making us more like Himself. In doing so, we're able to love like the Father loves. This is what was important to Paul, that we were role modeling covenant relationships for the world around us. The next thing Paul says, we'll, we'll lump three of these together. He says, an elder should be self-controlled, sensible, and respectable. Somebody was telling me recently about a church they used to attend where the pastor behind the scenes would yell at the staff and call, will just say some, use some very unkind language at the staff. And this is obviously the very kind of thing that Paul's trying to prevent. 
As I mentioned last week, there are many who seek a place of power and authority, and unfortunately, often they find it in the church. The reason that we are going to spend so much time talking about what it means to be an elder is we want to make sure that the men that are in leadership in our body are ones that are honest with themselves and honest with God about where they are. We want to make sure it's the kind of men that are pursuing the Lord and not their own agendas. Paul is saying in, with these three words that an elder should not act in a rash way, but be level-headed, be able to control himself. Paul is speaking of someone who has a sober and balanced spirit, that they're not all over the place all the time, but they know who they are in Christ. All three of these words point, point towards an orderly life, both inside and out. If an elder's life is not orderly, then you're not able to, to lead the church in an orderly way either right? I, I, I love Kenneth Williams used to, um, who's our, um, we'll mention him again in a minute, this just popped in my head, but we were in Uganda one time over there as a vision casting trip with him, and we were talking about people coming in helping, and he says, man, one of the things that I tell people all the time is if you're not making disciples of Christ where you live, you're not going to make them in Africa either. And man, what truth. If we're not making disciples where we are, we're not going to do it there either. As an elder, if our lives are not orderly in our homes, it's going to be very difficult to, to make that happen somewhere else. And I'm not talking about everything's got to be neat and tidy and clean. I'm talking about structure. I'm talking about living in a way that God has called us to live. Again, we're directed to look at the character of an elder that is the result of the Holy Spirit's work in his life. This is not about saying, yeah, Will's really good at being organized, so that qualifies him as an elder. That's not what I'm saying, right? We're looking for evidence of the Holy Spirit's work. In Galatians uh, chapter 5, verse 22 and 23, it says, But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. I keep saying these things in different ways because it's so important. None of us are qualified in our own power and our own abilities. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. I know I'm a broken record, but I need to be, okay? Without the work of the Holy Spirit, we can be nothing but what we are, which is wretched. Sinners, Right? Everybody gets upset, they get angry, they get stressed, they get sad, we can go on and on and on. But how we handle those emotions matter because we're the under-shepherds of the church, right? And it role models for the rest of the church what it looks like to be one with Christ. And so, as an under-shepherd, I need to make sure that when I'm responding to people, I'm responding in the way that Christ would. Am I going to fail? Absolutely. But my, my goal is to let the Holy Spirit work those things out in me. Okay, the next item on the list is similar because it, it deals with self-control and because with that comes the ability to be self-giving. An elder should be hospitable. Paul is talking here specifically about other believers. If you, if you go back and listen to Glenn's message that he did on this particular passage three years ago, he spent a lot of time talking about some, some of his own guilt in his own life about when he would think about being hospitable, he thought that meant that you, you went out to, to every person that presented themselves as homeless on the street and took them into your home, right? And if the Lord's telling you to do that, that's fantastic. But that's not what Paul is talking about here. Paul is specifically talking about other believers. When the new church was starting, you couldn't go to a town like Alexandria or Pineville and find three, four, five, six hotels and lots of restaurants. If there was a hotel, typically they were not the kind of place you wanted to stay. They were dirty, unsafe, or unsavory, right? And so Paul, they know that because these Christians are being dispersed, that as that's happening, they're going to need places to stay, places to sleep, places to eat. And this is what Paul is talking about. 
In Romans chapter 12, verse 13, he says, share with the saints in their needs, pursue hospitality. Paul's telling the church that when you find a stranger in need, specifically a believer, provide what they need. Give them a place to stay, food to eat, and a warm, inviting atmosphere in which they can enjoy those things. This was a serious need in the early church, and without this practice, the church would not have been able to expand the way it did. An elder must be willing to take others into their home, even if they don't need a meal or a place to sleep. His home should be a place of warm reception, a place that someone can feel at home in. For me, this is an area that I really enjoy because I'm an extrovert and I like having lots of people around and I love to cook. So it's just a great mix. And, and I was thinking today of trying to, or yesterday of trying to how to help us kind of put some handles on what this looks like. And I, I remembered that when Kenneth and Christy Williams came in to visit, they're like us. They got lots of kids, which now they weigh, uh, how many they got now? You remember? 10, 12, I don't know. I can't keep up. They got a lot, okay? They have a lot of children's. Um, and they came to our house when they came to the church Sunday morning to share what God was doing in Uganda. And we invited them over for lunch. I wasn't an elder then. That's not what this is about. But they came to the house and one of the sides that we had with our lunch was green beans. And, and we're eating and one of Christy's kids came up and said, mom, can I have some more? And she's like, yeah, baby, what do you want? They said, some of that bean juice. Okay. <laughs> now, I just want to point out that it says something about your cooking if somebody wants more of the juice from the green beans, okay? That was some really good pot liquor, all right? Just for the record, those, I'm pretty certain Bethany cooked those, not me, okay? I got to give credit where it's due. But listen, they felt comfortable in our home, and they enjoyed a warm meal. And, and I'm not saying that to pat myself on the back, but to say this is what Paul's talking about. We had some fellow believers that were in town, and they need a place to eat, and I know that it's real expensive to go to a restaurant when you got a lot of kids, right? And so to be able to provide a meal was a blessing for them and a blessing for us. This concept is important for us today as it is in the early church. We talk all the time about how life groups are, are really what our church is based in. And this is a, a great example of what it means to be hospitable, to invite people into your home, opening your home to be a place of refuge when it's needed, to be a place of love for others. That's an incredible tool that God has given us as the church to be able to use to communicate with an unbelieving world the love of Christ. You don't really know someone until you've spent a lot of time in their home. Um, I, I forgot that Cassandra wasn't going to be here today. I was going to pick on her a little bit, but I'll do it anyway, and she can just listen to it later on the podcast. But Wednesday or Sunday night at our life group, uh, she had gotten there before I did, she and Wes, and I didn't even knock. I just came into Carrie and Kara's house and was like, hey, y'all, what's up? And get my laptop bag out, and I got my computer out, and I just start moving decorations off the top of Kara's piano so I could set my laptop top up for, for Zoom. And Cassandra was like looking around, and she's like, I love how comfortable y'all are with each other. Well, you just come in, just walked in and start moving stuff around, and, and she's like, this is just like... She was saying that it was really cool, but also it just felt strange to her. She's, and I said, well, a couple of things. Number one, I asked Kara a long time ago if I could move the directions on the piano, and she gave me the approval to do so. But, but what I, I helped her to understand is that we know each other, right? We've been doing life together a long time, and I know Carrie and Kara, and I know that they're not going to be upset if I move a few things in their house if it's going to help facilitate life group in that way. That happens because Carrie and Kara are incredibly hospitable. You go in their house, they're like, hey, this is our house. It's where you can, you know, do whatever you need to do. And we have a great time there, okay? Now, the last thing. An elder should be able to teach. This is one that, for me, I think 
Some people take this a little bit out of context. We'll talk about that a little bit. Some churches take this to mean that every elder should preach and should do so regularly. Okay? Some churches take this to mean that only those that are to preach should be appointed as elder. But I think both of those are kind of missing the sentiment of what uh, Paul is saying to Timothy. Paul is saying that an elder, one that's over the church, should be able to effectively communicate the truth of the gospel. Don't you agree that that would be a good quality in someone that's leading the church? That they'd be able to communicate the gospel? I think so too, okay? There's an exception, uh, or excuse me, an expectation from Paul that if someone knows the Lord and are progressively growing in that relationship, that they will obviously know the gospel, but they also should be able to share that truth with anyone who asks. There are some elders that have a specific call to preach, but that's not a requirement to be an elder. After all, preaching and teaching, for me anyway, in my mind, are two very different forms of communication, right? Just so everyone knows, since I no longer have Glenn in my back pocket, I was telling Jacob Crump this the other day, that uh, when I have to be gone on a Sunday for work, or if I get sick, or I'm going on vacation, somebody got to preach, so just saying, giving you fair warning, might be one of y'all, okay? Paul's heart behind this qualification is to set the bar for those that are going to be in leadership. To say, if, if you are going to be a leader in the church, you need to be able to share the gospel. Okay? This is a significant quality, especially in our current culture. We talk about all the time how uh, millennials aren't like previous generations, where they just take the beliefs of their parents and accept them to be truth and, and hold those for themselves. That they're going to look at those truths. They're going to dig into Scripture. They're going to ask hard questions and that is a really good thing and we we also because we're a plant a church plant and a church that plants churches we look at churches that are closing their doors and we start new churches and I think this new church that is forming I'm not talking about us or Colleen I'm talking about new churches in general are going to be a lot stronger than the previous churches because the people in those bodies know what they believe because they have they have studied it they have wrestled with it they have struggled with it and they, they own it at that point. It's not something that someone told them and they said, yeah, that sounds good. I'll stick that in my pocket as a belief. They believe it because they've studied it out. In order for, for elders to facilitate this kind of growth, we've got to be willing to, to, to point to Scripture. When someone asks those hard questions and say, look, that is an excellent question. Let's go to Scripture and let's study this together. When Paul's talking about being able to teach, this is what he's talking about. Is that you're able to guide someone, to walk with them, to discover, to understand the truth of Scripture. Having men that know God and are progressively knowing Him more and have a passion for His Word is going to enable the church to flourish. It's going to give more opportunities for those hard questions that are so good. God reveals Himself through His Word. And so if we are, as elders are able to teach we're going to help people to know God better because we're able to share with them the truth that God reveals of himself through his word. Okay, we're going to stop here today. But I want to recap quickly uh, over a couple of things. I want to remind you that all of these qualifications are for all believers, not just for elders. That as believers, we should aspire to be like Christ. And if we are like Christ, if we are moving in that direction, these qualifications will be met. Being blameless, committed to our spouses, being sensible, respectable, hospitable, and able to teach our expectations that God has for all of his children. In order to be in leadership in God's church, our elders must desire to be more like Christ. And in doing so, we're going to be made into his likeness. That's, 
the basis of what it means to be an elder, to be qualified to be an elder as a person that is striving towards these things. It's the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives that's going to qualify us for leadership, not our talents, not, not our talents, not our abilities, and not our position. Let's pray together and ask God to give us all a greater desire to know Him and to, to, to be these things. God, I'm blown away by the, um, the people that you have in our body. God, that, that as I look around this room, as I think about the, those that are absent today for sickness or, or for whatever reasons, God, there is a depth of understanding of who you are that is not commonplace in a lot of churches today, God, and I am so thankful for that. I'm thankful that as we look at these qualifications for those that are to be in leadership, God, that we're not looking at that judging one another and saying, well, Will's not this or so-and-so is not that. But God, that we all have the same heart and the same mind, knowing that we want to be like you. And even though we're not there yet, God, that is our goal. I'm thankful for the encouragement that comes from the body for, for those that are in leadership and those that want to be in leadership. God, as we move through this process, it is my heart's desire that it would be the men that you are calling to this. And Father, if there's any point someone who is uh, desiring that position for anything other than a desire to simply serve you and to serve the body, Father, that you would point that out quickly. Allow us to protect the body. Father, we know that you love us and you prove it to us daily by speaking to us and I'm so thankful for that. Father, as we move through this week, God, I ask for a couple of things. I ask that you would continue to draw us to yourself and that you would speak to us those that you are desiring to put in places of leadership in our church. Jesus, we love you and we thank you so much. In Jesus' name, amen. Go ahead and stand.